Welcome uh, to today's meeting and time of practice, time of inquiry, a few moments of silence uh, to begin, a few more moments, just sitting in Sazen. I'll invite you to sit with some attention and uprightness, as much steadiness as you can call forward in the midst of this tilty, shaky, unstable, beautiful world. Expressing its center from your center. Resting back in its fullness and wholeness. Your own sincere truth and completeness. just sitting.
And now we'll repeat the verse of the robe together. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction, wearing the universal teaching. I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction, wearing the universal teaching. I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction, wearing the universal teaching. I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. It's so um, unusual. I'm 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 getting accustomed to it, but it's so unusual to um, to see a number at the bottom of the screen rather than seeing people. Uh, it's wonderful to see that there are seventy six people uh, with me, with you, with all of us right now, and to feel the joy of that and the possibility of that. But uh, speaking in an empty room is, is quite interesting and seeing only myself who had prefer not to see actually. Uh, but all of us are becoming accustomed to this. So I, I'm looking out through a window into the, the beauty of the landscape here, thinking of Dogen's Rivers and Mountains Sutra, which wasn't a sutra that he wrote about rivers and mountains. He was saying that the rivers and mountains, nature is the sutra, this is our, our life. I want to speak for a few moments as I, I do in the beginning of inquiry. <clears throat> um, as a way to, in some ways, um, uh, set the motion of the Dharma, set the motion of the wheel of Dharma moving. And many of you know uh, that we, um, we uh, some of our larger international Apamata related Sanghas, were engaged in a retreat sponsored by um, a group of, of sanghas in the UK under the umbrella of just this. Uh, these sanghas um, sponsor my visit to the UK each year. And of course this year I was unable to go. And the theme was welcome everything, push away nothing as it was also a few weeks ago in, in Madison, Wisconsin, where I would have also gone. Today, only a few days following that retreat, I'm still resonating like the bell with the beauty of the talks, uh, which, was, which were offered by uh, each of the the senior students whom I asked to speak with me, uh, I decided it would be um, a good idea to share the Dharma seat with <clears throat> the current head student, the, um, the person who would be an incoming head student, 
a senior student who initiated practice in the southern part of the UK and, uh, and also um, one of our most senior students who's uh, preparing for entrustment and would have engaged that ceremony when uh, Peg and I were going to visit uh, this very week. And so I'm going to offer many of you um, a little glimpse into what they spoke about because it was so dear to me. I want to uh, reflect on it. And those of you that were in that retreat, um, just to taste once again, or have a small fragrance of those talks once again, that were so beautiful. And I want to start with the, the last one by uh, Josh Gifford since he brought forward a phrase that is the primary thing that is still ringing with me. <clears throat> and I'll, I'll offer that in just a moment. Josh told a story in the beginning about um, uh, Bill Kwong, now Jakusho Kwong Roshi at Sonoma Mountains Zen Center, who was an early student of Suzuki Roshi and is himself quite old now. And reflecting on his own entrustment, um, Josh reported that in a, a video he was watching with some affection, um, um, Jakusho Kwong had said, my teacher had died, speaking of Suzuki Roshi, um, 50 years ago. And I was put in this position because of my love for him. put in this position of having to carry the dharma forward, having uh, to be a teacher, to start a center, to just live his life in the way that he's lived it. My teacher had died and I was put in this position because of my love for him. And I'm thinking of the, a few years ago when I arrived in the UK with our theme impermanence and Blanche died in the morning we began our residential retreat. And these last few retreats in between my father dying, and I really resonated with Josh's bringing this thing forward. My teacher had died, my father had died, and I was put in this position because of my love for them, in this position of vulnerability and potential, uh, which comes out of, out of loss and makes something else possible. There's an old story uh, of the ancestors, which Josh also um, brought forward and which he, um, well, I was reminded that Peg and I used it in our, um, our retreat that we did in January at Appamata in Austin with Yunyan and Dongshan. And I won't go into the longer story, but as a teacher and a student, and the student was to leave, and they were talking about how to carry the teachings forward. And at one point, the teacher uh, and student said to each other, the teacher said to the student, you're in charge of this great matter. Uh, you must be most thoroughgoing. And I could feel the way in which, as the last male person in my family named Sparks, there was a certain kind of being in charge of this matter in my family. And the way that Blanche had entrusted me to carry things forward, I must be most thoroughgoing. And how 
what I could see in those students as they spoke in this last retreat. And as I heard from each of the students in Madison and the retreat before that, as I hear from our entrusted teachers and each person helping at Appamata in Austin with their reflections and their invitations and their classes and their meditations, how this great matter has been taken up and we're all in charge together doing our best to be most thoroughgoing. And as I speak about how dear this is, how important it is, how powerful it is, how it's transformed my own life, I come to the statement that Josh offered. When Suzuki Roshi was speaking about a way of sort of surrendering, letting ourselves go into the practice and how we're held up by all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas throughout space and time. And he said, Suzuki Roshi said, this is more true than I can say and more true than you can hear. And if there's any statement that essentializes or encapsulates or deeply touches what I think inquiry is, it's this communication that in an imperfect way, I'm doing my best, but what I offer and what each person offers is more true than we can say and more true than we can hear. The truth is larger than just our relative self. In that same talk, Suzuki Roshi said, I'm not talking about something that is strange or mystical. If you think so, it means you're not truthful enough. You're not feeling deeply enough to feel what is true. Be sincere enough to be yourself. Is, you know, when we speak about these things, which are Zen-ish or whatever, we speak about and to and from the world beyond conditions, beyond just our personality, beyond the relative world. Sometimes it seems strange or mystical, but he says, if you think that's the case, it means you're not truthful enough. What would that mean? that you're not dropping into the deepest truth of who you are. In that case, you would resonate even if you couldn't, even if it was more true than you could say or more true than others could hear. He said, you're not feeling deeply enough to feel what is true. Be sincere enough to be yourself. Sincere, un un uh, unmanipulated, true, honest. Be honest enough to be yourself. He said later at the end of the talk, if you really understand your life, it's not even necessary to practice Zazen or even for me to come and stay in America, or I would say for me to come and stay in, in England. We do practice, we do not, excuse me, we do not practice Zazen to attain special enlightenment, just to be ourselves and just to be free from our useless efforts or tendencies, we practice Zazen. So we don't practice Zazen to attain something special. And it's not required that I show up, but it is important that we show up and be ourselves and let go of our, what do you call, useless uh, efforts or tendencies. I love that. It's a, a beautiful way of talking about dropping our habit patterns and then we practice zazen. 
together. And this is more true than I can say and more true than you can hear. Trudy gave the first uh, talk with me on the first day. And here are some of, some of her words, just echoes now. She said, reflecting on something she'd heard me say, that we know, don't know the full experience of something until we say yes to it. Until we step over the threshold. We don't understand the truth of something until we enter it fully. And this is an inquiry in our practice, what we invite in Zazen. And Trudy was speaking about taking up the role of head student. And talking about the flowering of what she called grandmotherly mind and the care of the precious Sangha. How when she became a grandmother herself, she felt too young to be one and as she became head student too old. <laughs> Um, but these are things that we have, have ideas about. But the main thing I wanted to re, uh, recount is she said, I'm aware of how these reluctances are stories made by my mind, trying to find ways to say no to the world. And that's been the biggest learning. How often I say no to the, on the inside and to the world as it is. One of the outcomes of all this saying no is the sense of making myself do things so that even when there are things I want to do, and there are many things, I'm aware of how I often feel like I'm having to hold everything together. So she offered the beautiful koan about no moon, no water, which I spoke about a few weeks ago and shared her lovely poem. She said a story of giving up, of failing at the threshold of freedom, failing at the threshold of freedom. And finally, thank you all for helping me to fail. And this is more true than she could say and more true than you could hear. These unusual sounding things. Catherine continued on the next day, reflecting on the possibility of entering such a, a role as head student, which she was very reluctant to do herself. And she said, I want you to know that you can never truly be on your own and that you can allow yourself to be upheld by bodhisattvas who come in many guises, often unexpected. That's a full teaching there. And she spoke about how she has this tendency to take on too much responsibility from an egoistic place of fear, trying to hold things together as Trudy had said. And she spoke about a difficulty in the Sangha, a tangle among dear people attempting to do their best. And she said, Catherine said, all you can do, reflecting on this difficult situation, is take responsibility for your thread in the tapestry, not the whole of it. I found that I was, it was tempting to believe that after all the suffering involved, there must be a reconciliation, a spiritual happy ending for everyone. But really, that was just pushing away the deep sadness of our situation and not staying with it 
penetrating the truth, being truthful enough. Those are my words. But she says it was the practice of accepting the messiness of life while keeping as open a heart as possible. The question I have to ask was, do you put your trust in your own shaky little ego that thinks it has to do everything? And then a statement that really stopped me. She said, it's as if life has a secret back door into the heart. Life has a secret back door into the heart. Come what may, it is going to teach you what you need to learn, but it's also going to provide what you need. And for that, she said, I feel a huge gratitude to the many people here. So it's a good idea to pay attention and not push away things. It's possible to say yes. And that yes has nothing to do with feelings of welcome and everything to do with thou. That saying yes has everything to do with thou. But vows, she reminds us, aren't an isolated, lonely practice. And all of this is much more than she could say and much more than you could hear, much more true. And finally, uh, Cheska offering her gorgeous photography and the narrative that flowed with the unfolding of her awareness through looking. She says, the central foundational practice of Akomi is loving presence. It's a practice of reversing our animal nature tendency to look for threat to look for things that don't meet our expectations, how things ought to be, and to look instead for beauty, strength, wholeness. In short, to look with Buddha eyes at the Buddha nature and everyone and everything. She really spoke to me when she said, my photography practice reminds me to look with fresh eyes and to see beauty everywhere. I've never been the most observant person in the world or even on my block, but I'm learning to slow down and look more closely at minute particulars to marvel at the mystery of how the entirety of existence is reflected in every unique form, every gesture, every event. I'm constantly bowled over by the dearness of people. And so it is with all of you. And this is more than I can say. And more true than you can hear. Sometimes it takes a photograph or a piece of art to reflect it. So those are the pieces that I hope to share. Uh, I hope that they're as inspiring to you as they, they felt to me. because we offer ourselves to each other and receive the world that returns. We call out to the world and then call forward into the world without attempting to be something special, but to meet each other in a way that is liberating, that offers us the possibility of a vow, which means to say yes, which means to fail more, effectively and fully at the threshold, which opens us to life as it is, to be very thoroughgoing. Everything will die, everything will be lost. 
and that puts us in this role. So if you'd like to explore these things more fully in yourself, please raise your hand and maybe we'll have a time to talk and open to what might be freeing, generous, and it will always be more than I can say and more true than, than you can hear. Hello, oh, Flint. Hi there. Nice to see you again Good in such a short again. Yes. time. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And so um, about sort of uh, welcoming everything in and not pushing anything away, I'm still stuck with, and I'm going to do the three things, I'm still stuck with um, surrender, submit, and embrace. Mm-hmm. And it's like their musical notes. Sometimes one is loud, another time another is loud. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'm pushing one away and sometimes, and from an ego perspective, I can control it. But I, I want to sort of just not even do that. So I'm wondering how I can just welcome them all in and not be overwhelmed. Well, well you're giving yourself a very nice answer to your question. <laughs> they, they, become, um, they become a beautiful uh, threshold of around vulnerability, don't they? Sometimes, they do. sometimes you're surrendering wholeheartedly and wholesomely. Sometimes you submit in ways that don't feel so good. Sometimes you can embrace. And so it becomes a living koan, a, oh. a living question. If you were to push any of them away, you would start breaking up life. Now, being identified fully with one of them mm. or another will give you a different experience and you will learn from that experience. And there are times in which, for example, submitting doesn't really feel so good, but you, yeah. it's important to learn from that. So you find its distinction with surrender and how sometimes wholehearted embrace um, can be, you find out what you embrace burns or cuts and other times it, con- it consoles and is beautiful and nourishing. So it's a larger space of meeting them all, not selecting. And as they move through that larger space that you become, which is Buddha's body, okay. then you learn what they're to, they're to teach you. That's, thank, that's really helpful because what I've been trying to do is minimize, minimize the space, make the gate smaller, and then just allow them through. Right, so we can it's... find the right one. <laughs> oh, it's opening the gate. Wider yeah. and wider and wider. Life energy wants a huge um, a vessel to flow through. And in practice, we become a larger vessel for life energy to flow through. Okay. Other than narrow down to the small little self that we want to cling to and then wonder why we suffer. That's really helpful. Thank you. Thank you. I was, yeah, that makes sense now to go wider than to go small. Yes. Thank you. And it's wonderful to see you looking so well. Yes. I'm, I'm working hard at being well. 
Good. Enjoy yes, every breath. Thank you very much. Thank you. I, um, thank you. By the way, um, I think that the the talks that I shared with each of the students, which I referred to, you'll be able to access online in the Appamata archives at some point. Um, so th those are available, and I would I would recommend them. Even if you go to the video and just skip over, you can see the little thumbnail as you move it across. Skip over me and go to the student talks. You you hear me all the time but you don't often get a chance to hear them. Who else has raised their hand? And again, that'd be a beautiful opportunity of meeting. I'll try to remind you it's, um, and it's so easy to sit and listen and take in, maybe enjoy <clears throat> the things that I might speak about or another student might bring. <clears throat> but just as <clears throat> each of the students said, it's the stepping through the threshold of saying yes, offering yourself to the larger Sangha and meeting that something can actually, um, actually move. <clears throat> Hi, Katie. Hi. Nice to see you again. It's good to see you. <laughs> see these faces I'm familiar with at some point, like, oh, hi. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, um, I was developing a question in my head, and I wasn't exactly sure what it was, but something you just said made me raise my hand <laughs> anyway. What was that? Um, it just seemed like there was an invitation and maybe I didn't have to have it, the question exactly figured out. That's right. The invitation and the response to the invitation, that's most important. Yeah. Life is always offering us these invitations and our wholehearted response is what is being invited. Not a solution, not an answer, not even a great question. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm reading this book. Uh, called The Invitation. Uh-huh. Have you read it? No, I know of it, but I haven't read it. So um, there's a, there's a, it's based on a poem and there's an exercise in it um, to ponder about desires. Mm -hmm. And it's based on the first line of the poem, which is, it doesn't interest me what you do for a living. I want to know what you ache for. And if you dare to dream of meeting your heart's longing. Mm -hmm. So the exercise was to just basically write about your heart's longing and your desires. Mm -hmm. And I did this for about 10 minutes. And I realized there's also 
a lot of fear embedded in my desires and in expressing them. Yeah. And so I was wanting to speak with you about that and about, um, I have this want to get my desires correct and to know which ones are I'm supposed to act on. And there's a lot of fear in that getting it right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I remember last time we spoke, you talked about acknowledging the fear. (laughs) So I'm turning towards that. Uh, And I'm wondering what else to do. (laughs) (laughs) What's the magic formula going to be? Yeah, I'm interested in really fully expressing my desires without reacting to them, without running from them. Oh, without running from them? Well, you know, that's what all these students were just talking about, isn't it? They were talking about how they were invited to do something and how they were afraid. Yeah. And, and every one of them, the practice was to step through the threshold anyway. Mm. There's a, a beautiful poem I would, I would suggest that you might take a look at and when we're not speaking here by David White, and it's called Faces at Braga. Okay. And in that poem, he speaks about being at the threshold of a cave in Tibet or in Nepal somewhere, and he wants to see these Buddhas that are carved. It's an ancient, it's a real thing. Um, and they were in the dark, waiting for the old monk to, you know, unlatch the door and light the butter lamps and all that stuff to go in. It's pitch black. You can't see anything in the cave because it's just carved in the side of a mountain. And he starts talking to this person next to him. He could feel the presence. So he, you know, just kind of making chatter as they waited. And then the lights came on and he looked in the face and it wasn't a person, it was a statue. And it was a fierce protector at the guardian of the gate. And he says in the poem, fierce figure on the side of good, asking, will you step through? Mm. And he said he realized it, it wasn't a protector trying to keep people out. It was a strong image, a fierce image, where you have to face your fear to step in. Mm. And it's exactly what you're talking about. What you're meeting is universal, is human. What it says to me is you're going deep enough to actually start discovering the truth. When I was speaking earlier about Suzuki Roshi's words about, if you don't understand this, you're not truthful enough. Mm. This is what we're talking about. If you're, if you're, um, it's, it's an interesting kind of fearlessness. It has fear in it, but it's a saying yes anyway, and stepping in. There, and here's a, an unpleasant secret I will tell you. Uh, there's not a right answer. Mm-hmm. There's not a right one. There's the next one and the next one. And they only become clear. And you only find your way by stepping in. Or you don't want to be foolish, of course. And you don't want to be um, unmindful. That's why Jessica was saying in her, you know, you have to pay attention. And then see what comes up and see what you learn. What's the, what's the niggling part that's left on the side for you? What's left in the question right now? I can see it in your face. I'm wondering who the protector is. <laughs> ah, that's a good question, isn't it? 
Can you feel it in your body? I'm feel guessing. the fear? Yeah. And so as you do, that's the next one to write to. Hmm. Invite that protector in instead of trying to get away from it. Mm-hmm. And find out what its story is. What it thinks its job is. What its fears for you are. Get to know it. So that's the turning to face the difficulty rather than trying to get rid of the fear. Mm-hmm. Penetrate it more deeply and find that not just be subsumed by the fear. That's not the point, by the feeling. Know the protector. Mm. And begin to learn what's being protected. Because there's some vulnerability there that's important to get to know also. Mm. That should give you a bit to practice with. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Flint. Thank you, Katie. It's a really wonderful question. And I'm sure this resonates with a lot of people. Appreciate your willingness to step through and not let your fear stop you. Thanks. Mm-hmm. I mean, Katie offered us such a beautiful example of how stepping in, just like some of the other students were talking about, even when you're fearful, even when you don't know, begins to unfold something that couldn't unfold. Uh, unless you were willing to take that step. And that's what our shared inquiry is is about. Lori. Hi there. Hi there. Is someone who knows about stepping in, even when she's anxious? <laughs> that's been my life. <laughs> and you've learned a lot from it. I have. Still learning. Yeah. What's on a your lot. mind today? Um. So I, um, the other day, I got some news about a, a, um, a colleague of mine from my job that I, I worked as a translator for, I don't know, I worked with this guy for about 15 years, and the, and the news was, was that his wife had died. And, oh. and um, so in some ways, uh, she had been ill she had lupus and so she suffered a lot with a lot of things mm-hmm. her body and finally you know she was lost but um and then uh, i was also informed that that this um, um my co-worker had uh, lung cancer and so oh, himself uh, yeah himself and mm. so and, and apparently had almost died previously but anyway and i was unaware of all that so i I called him up and talked, had a long talk with him, uh, about an hour long talk. And um, it was a very difficult conversation in some ways. It was great to, to connect with him. That was mm-hmm. lovely. Um, but not surprisingly, the conversation was very much um, about things on his mind and putting his affairs in order and you know, looking at his life and um, saying whether, you know, saying the things that he felt he had, he was proud of. Mm-hmm. It's still so, touching. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's still very much up. Yeah, as it and should be. 
um, so what I did with that, <laughs> it's not so touching. Um, like I said, I felt very uh, happy about having spent that time with him, but I'm, but I kind of went south with it. You know, I, I, I got very negative about it and thought, you know, what have I done? And, you know, what's... You mean some negative self-reflections on your own life? Yeah. In the face of what you'd heard with him? Yeah, yeah. And so um, I do know that, you know, this, so I've been crying a lot. Um, And connecting with people that I, you know, know well. Um, but anyway, so that's, I'm, I'm working with that. It's like, uh, sometimes I feel, you know, this is crazy. And on the other hand, I think, you know, so I kind of get stuck in places and um, negative places. And I, and a thought came to me the other day, you know, in talking to other people, it's, it's, it's nice to have positive reflections, but this is not what's up. It's it's my own deal, you know. It's the conversation that I'm having with myself that that um, that matters. Well, it's like with Katie; she's talking about having to turn towards the protector, and you have to turn towards these critical voices. There's something there, trying to get your attention for some reason. You don't want to identify with it all that's kind of a crushing habit, you know, that sometimes we can get in with, with critics, but you also have to understand it if it's ever to be unburdened. And you don't want to wait to the end. No, I don't. To do that. And you also have the background of your mother and her voice and also her getting close to the end of her life. So there are layers of this stuff, I'm sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so once we're back to the question of at the threshold, you know, will you step through? Will you, will you meet all of this? It, it won't leave you alone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that little piece I read from Catherine that said, you know, eventually life is going to show you everything, you know, what you need to look at. And here it is. This bodhisattva came in the form of a colleague and came in the back door of your heart. And you got a little surprised. Oh my gosh. And what you found, I'm sure, was some love and tenderness for him. But then also what you found was everything that didn't feel so much like love and tenderness. Oh that's harbored somewhere inside of you. Yeah. And so, oh, there's what, there's where the light needs to be turned. There. That's what's calling your attention now. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crushing. I mean, it's, it's pretty uh, strong. Right. And so there's some more uh, releasings and we're letting go of those burdens. Um, and you're being shown each moment, life as it is. Ah, here's an area that needs some attention. Because he would not have spoken to you in that way if he had not felt safe and understood who you were and he could feel your compassionate friendship. 
So every positive quality that I think you you hope and aspire to offer, just like Katie said, her, her deepest desire, like Catherine talked about her vows, is there and is recognized by others. Maybe you can. But not by pushing all this away, but by turning the goodness of your own heart toward it. And sometimes it takes a friend on the outside, like me now, <laughs> reminding you or putting up a little mirror and say, let's turn the light that way. Okay. And having just lost my dad, it's, and I'm thinking about you and your mom too, these things, as that transition goes on, it brings up these. And like Kwong Roshi said, I was put in this position because of my love for these people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Flip. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to see you. Hi, Flynn. Hey, Stacy. Hello. Just, just getting used to. Oh gosh. I know. <laughs> it's a yeah. bit of a surprise the first time, isn't it? Something with my hair. Oh yeah. <laughs> I um, take care of mine, so I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't suppose you. I I wrote you a letter. You know. I don't suppose you. Um because it, my letter was saying that I, I could have, might have. I did see your letter, yes. Um, and, you know, already I think the letter is um, out of date um, in terms of where I'm at. Good, good news, things keep changing. <laughs> um, So yes, in the spirit of um, arriving and being here and, and sharing my, um, my um, ambivalence um, was a lot to do with the letter, was the, the issue of my ambivalence about living, it would seem. Yeah, you know, basically, yeah. It would seem that... Uh, and how I continue to poison myself with drugs and nicotine. Mm -hmm. And I have not wanted to come out of retreat. I've felt exhausted. Um, and I haven't left the house yet. <laughs> you know, I've just uh, wanted to rest and take care of a very tired body. Well, that sounds um, wholesome. That's the opposite of poisoning yourself. Well, except you see the context is that I poisoned myself well and truly on Sunday night. I got well trashed and felt very, very ill afterwards. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, it's like, God, I've never made myself ill doing this before. You know, I really, and it's this, um, and as I said to you in the letter, I think, after the retreat last year, I've just been on this bender 
and it's this business of the rebellious part. I've just, I've, now you have to bear with me, I've only just started reading the parts book. Okay, I've got the parts book and I've started reading it today. So it's like, yeah, okay, so the, the rebellious part is really been running for, you know, 62 years now. Mm -hmm. Mostly. Um, what are you rebelling against? What am I rebelling against? What is that the question? What am I rebelling against? What am I rebelling against? Being good, being, um, being, oh, what am I rebelling against? Exactly. I don't know if it's rebellion. I think you might just be terrified of being yourself. Well, there is that, yeah. Yeah. Because if you, if you go on a bender after each retreat, and I know that you enjoy the retreats and you get a lot from them and you open, and I think you get closer and closer to the truth of yourself, as Suzuki Roshi was talking about, and that's the hardest thing to tolerate. It's not some terrible thing that you meet. It's some beautiful thing that you meet. It's not some awful place. It's a free place. And for some reason, that's the most frightening. And then you have to shut it back down. Yeah, could be something along those lines. Yeah. yeah. And so you're not exactly rebelling, you're retreating. Hiding. Hiding from what you actually also look for. So there's this tension. Your greatest love and greatest desire is also your greatest fear. And the saying yes that Catherine was talking about is, is your job if you want, and you don't have to take it. But your job is to begin to say yes to life. Please, please help me and encourage me. Please don't give up on me. That's why I want you to be encouraged by saying yes. That's my encouragement. I'm not mad at you. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But it's like, I, it seems that I need to be called somehow. I don't be, know. Call be, or just like, hey, come on, Stace. Come on, Stace. Yeah, yeah, call it. Exactly. That's what I'm doing. It's be here with us. The feeling of being left behind. Be with us. Be with us. Be here. You have a place with us. But once again, when you inhabit those moments in those places, you get a little frightened. It's not unusual their job is to keep coming back. Keep coming back. We'll keep calling you if you'll keep coming back. Thank you. Thank you. Fair? Yeah. Yes, good. Keep coming back and we'll keep calling you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for your honesty, your vulnerability. Hello. Hello. It's been a long time. Yes, it has. Um, inviting everything in and not pushing anything away has, um, yeah, I've been working on that little by little over my adult life. Um, my adult life has been one medical issue after another. Oh. Uh, <clears throat> And I'm going through another right now at the moment, having surgery uh, in less than two weeks. Um, and so 
I'm, for the first time, I'm allowing the feelings to come. Mm-hmm. Um, the fear, the anxiety, um, and th- that's been that's been good. But then I find myself when I let all that in, and I start feeling overwhelmed. I start pushing away um, people in my life. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure what that is um, or why. Um, I um, I start to when I start having I'm uh, I live alone um, and I I have to make all these medical decisions by myself mm. and so I start feeling this um, during this I start feeling smaller and smaller and smaller and and I start disconnecting from the outside world. Um, and as you do that, you begin to to feel and realize the result of that strategy. You get smaller and you get disconnected. Mm-hmm. Well, why did you put the little sign that's up over your left shoulder on the wall? Um, because it's um, something that I really tried to work on, that nothing is wrong and nothing is missing in my life. I mean, yeah. right now, right here in this moment, I'm totally fine. Yeah. Um, and but this is ha- I have. Pardon? This is really what you're talking about, isn't it? Uh, yes, and and I, I accept that, and then I push it away um, when I start to get overwhelmed. Right, and, I, and just like I was just saying, it's the returning, coming back, coming back. And I don't know, um, letting all that in is really hard. It it is, it can be. I mean, that's some of what you're saying is that you, um, you become, you're letting yourself feel more. And as you feel more, suddenly you start pushing away people. So what I heard was, as I become more vulnerable, more myself Mm -hmm. in some ways, I, actually turn away from the source of nourishment because it's somehow threatening or frightening to me. Human beings are both the source of nourishment, but to parts of us, it can be the source of fear, especially if that's been our history. You know, we always have Mm -hmm. troubles in that way. And so how to turn that is your practice edge so that you're willing, at least in some situations, like you've done right now, you raised your hand, you came forward, to connect in a way that's quite vulnerable uh, instead of not. And there's not many magic. There's that action that brings us back into the possibility of, of comfort. I, I feel, I feel like I really, really have to um, work on really reconnecting right now because um, I need to be, um, as whole and as much at peace as possible going into the surgery. You know, if I put a deadline on um, finding that, that balance, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's, that's your real, uh, that's the, the fiercest practice you can engage in right now is the reaching out and staying connected even when you don't feel like it. 
it's a version of what Catherine was talking about, trying to solve things by yourself and realizing all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas throughout space and time are supporting you and encouraging you. That's the reality, more true than I can say, more true than you can hear, but we experience it when another human being turns toward us. Okay, yeah, because that's my problem. I feel so completely alone, especially now when, uh -huh. you know, I've been isolated for nine, yeah. nine full weeks. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I was sick even before all this started, so I've been isolated a lot longer, and that's just been the struggle to... Um, so putting yourself in this situation is one way to step toward others right now and connect I, like And the problem I have, though, is, is when I reach out to others, all I have is bad stuff to talk about. You know, it's like, that's what people, you know, I want to reach out to somebody, but they're going to say, well, how are you? And I'm like, well, I'm pretty shitty. <laughs> well, that's right. And um, you can tell them that, but then you have to be interested in them. And also speak to the beauty that's all around you. You can't miss it. That's what Francesca was reminding us of. Look through Buddha's eyes. The reality of the difficulties are fine. You can talk about that. But remember the beauty it all rests in. Because if you don't do that, then the story gets small. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm having a hard time seeing something to look forward to. That's I come out of surgery and I'm back in isolation. And if that's all you look at, then that's, then that's a problem. You have to open <laughs> your gaze wider. Okay. All right. And so we'll keep encouraging you, like we were just talking about. Keep calling you forward, okay? Okay. Where do you live? I live in Austin. Okay, good. So you got people there that can, can connect with you. I do. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So we're moving towards the end of our time here. I think Kim had his hand up, though. May have a last word. Okay, I'm going to make it fast. And I don't. <laughs> Thanks for any presence all along, by the way. Yeah, so I, I did the Madison retreat and I did the uh, UK, and I still have a big question, and that is. I feel maybe for me, sometimes um, uh, this idea of turning away nothing is the wrong kind of thing to do, that mm -hmm. I have things that I need to turn away, that I have limited um, resources and, and space. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it seems like you didn't talk about that, that possibility. I didn't elaborate on that one. How do you know that you needed to uh, let go of some things or turn away from things? Um, feeling overwhelmed. Right. So you had to turn towards the overwhelmed in order to know that. Is what we do is we turn toward the immediacy of the moment so we know how to make our best decision. And sometimes the decision is to let something go. But that's not turning away. That's setting it down or, or putting it aside. It's just maybe just language, but it, it came as a result of turning toward the moment fully. So we know, oh, this is not right for me. This is overwhelming. This is my, that clever little statement I, I say, I know it's a little soundbite-ish, but that bodhisattvas have boundaries. So yeah, and I'm not, I'm not good at that. So there's your practice edge, and, yeah. and I'm right with you, buddy. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know me. My, my, my um, 
my edge isn't saying yes to things. My edge is about setting appropriate boundaries for myself. And it's 1.30. I know. We're going to have to say goodbye, aren't we? Okay. Yes. Um, it is one of the coordinators um, going to finish up a little. We'll do our chant first, okay? The four practice principles. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Thank you so much. And once again, we'll continue for the foreseeable future uh, as long as I'm able and as long as you're willing. Thank you. And I believe um, one of the Apamala folks might uh, come on to complete. Thank you so, so much, Flint. And thank you everyone for your generosity, for, for offering your whole self as uh, as we do, I feel so um, encouraged and full to be in this community. Um, and I just wanted to show everyone, I, I tried this last time, but it didn't work out very well. So I thought I might try it again, just to bring up the Appamata contributions page. Um, this is a great place to come and make your contribution. You can do a recurring one or um, Donna for the teachers directly. Um, and um, just to know that your, your generosity offering yourself in all the ways that you already do is so appreciated. So thank you all and, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>